Good morning, everyone. So good to see you this morning. So good to be together on this beautiful day to worship God together. If you have your Bible, can I ask you to take it out and go over into your Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings? Please go in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 in your Old Testament. In 2 Kings 5, we find one of the more familiar stories of the Old Testament, and that is the story of Naaman the Syrian. You remember the story of Naaman the Syrian? Remember Naaman the Syrian was a leper. He had leprosy. He had a terrible and dreadful skin disease, but once he learned about a prophet of God in the land of Israel who could cure him of this disease, the Bible says that he traveled to the land of Israel. He found the prophet of God who was Elisha, and Elisha told him to go and dip in the Jordan River seven times, and he would be healed. He would be cured. He would be miraculously cleansed and made whole. That's what Elisha told Naaman to do. And if you remember the story, remember initially Naaman didn't want to do that. Remember Naaman didn't want to go and dip in the nasty, dirty, smelly, disgusting Jordan River. Instead, he would have rather dipped in one of the cleaner rivers in his country, or maybe just have Elisha wave his hands and say a few words, and then instantly he would be healed. That's what Naaman wanted to take place. He didn't want to go and, and dip in the Jordan River, but after having his servants talk some sense into him, the scripture tells us that he eventually humbled himself. He stripped himself of his pride. He obeyed the word of the Lord. He went and he dipped in the Jordan River seven times. And once he did that, the promise of God came to pass. He was healed. His flesh was restored like that of a little child. That's what the Bible tells us in those verses. And again, again, I'm pretty sure that, that for many of you in the room this morning, you're familiar with that story, right? I'm pretty sure that for many of you, you've heard maybe several sermons about the cleansing of Naaman. But here's the question I want us to think about this morning. The question I want us to think about is how in the world did Naaman get there? How in the world did Naaman even get to a point to where he could be cleansed of his leprosy? How did he learn about the prophet Elijah? How did he know that there was a prophet in the land of Israel who could cure him of his disease? I, I want us to think about that question this morning because again, remember, remember who Naaman is. Remember again how Naaman is a Syrian. He's a Gentile. He is not of the people of God. He is not of 
the descendants of Abraham. He is not of Israelite stock. And yet, even though he is not of Israelite stock, some kind of way he is motivated to go among the Israelites and seek out their prophet. Why in the world would he do that? How did he know about Elijah? How did he know that there was a man of God in Israel who could help him? Well, my dear friends, when we work backwards and try to pinpoint the exact moment that led Naaman to being put in this position to where he could be cleansed of this dreadful disease, what we're going to find is, is ourselves being introduced to somebody in this story who is often overlooked. There is an overlooked but very significant story here in, or a person that needs to be considered in the story of Naaman. And so are you in 2 Kings chapter 5? Look at verse 1. We go to 2 Kings 5 and we look at verse 1 and the Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, or the king of the Syrians. Notice Naaman is the captain of the army of the king of Aram or the Syrians. And he's a great man. He was a great man with his master and he was highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he's got a problem. He's a leper. He's a leper. Now, the Arameans had gone out in bands, and they had taken a little girl, a captive, a little girl, from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. I want you to notice carefully what's going on here in these verses. Notice what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Notice how Naaman's journey to being cured of his leprosy, all began, it all began with the testimony of a little girl. It all began with the testimony of a servant girl who was from the land of Israel. Without the testimony of this little girl, nothing else in this chapter would have taken place. This little girl plays a huge role and Naaman's healing. And so since that is the case, how about we just spend a few moments considering what the Bible tells us about her, this little girl. Let's just take a few moments and consider what the Bible tells us about the faith of this servant girl. And let's begin by just pointing this out. Let's begin by first pointing out how while we do not know her name, and we do not know her exact age, and we don't even know from which tribe exactly she comes from in Israel. What we do know is when we're introduced to her here in 2 Kings 5, she is not living in the best circumstances. She's not living in the best circumstances at all. Why is she not living in the best circumstances? Well, notice the Bible tells us here that she's a slave. She is a captive. She is someone who has been taken from our family and the land of Israel and put in bondage by the enemies 
of her people, and that is the Syrians. Go back to the text. Look at verse number two. Verse number two tells us that somewhere around this time, the Syrians had raided the land of Israel. The Syrians had infiltrated the land of Israel. In fact, this is not the only time we can read about them doing this. Throughout the book of 2 Kings, we read about the Syrians raiding the land of Israel. The Syrians and the Israelites, they did not get along at this time. They were always fighting. They were at constant odds with each other at this time. In fact, when it came to this particular raid, notice how the scripture says that when the Syrians came in, among the people they took into captivity was a little girl. A little Israelite girl was taken from her family. A little Israelite girl was taken from her parents and maybe from her siblings, maybe from her grandparents, her friends, her home, her country. She's not in a good situation at all. And for our young folks here this morning, I just want to ask you, how would you have liked to be in her situation? I mean, how would you have liked to be in a situation where the enemies of our country invade our land and take you into captivity. Take you maybe to, to some place in the Middle East or in or Russia or China or, or, or North Korea. How would you like to be in a situation where you're taken from your country off to some place you've, you've never even been before? You know, this situation is very similar to Daniel, isn't it? You thought about Daniel? Remember, in Daniel chapter 1, we learn that in the time of the Babylonian Empire, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken off into Babylonian captivity. As young people, as teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old, they were taken away from their parents, taken away from their country, taken away from their culture, off to serve under King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, from what we know, spent the rest of his life in Babylon. That's what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's also what's going on with this little girl. Like Daniel and his three friends, this little girl from Israel was also taken to a place where the culture was different. The religion was different. The language was different. Everything was, was different. She was taken to a place where, for all she knew, she was going to be there forever. She was going to die there. She was going to maybe never, ever see her parents or her siblings or her community again. It's a very sad situation. It really is. And while we may be quick to think that maybe somebody like her would be depressed and, and bitter and full of resent, resentment. Notice she wasn't like that. She, she wasn't someone who, who walked around in her life solely focused on her problems and, and how dreadful her situation is. Instead, there came an occasion when she decided to help somebody. 
She decided to help somebody. Specifically, she decided to help Naaman. She decided to help the man who was her master. Again, remember who Naaman, who Naaman was. Naaman was a leper. He had a lot of fame. He had a great reputation. He had accomplished a lot in his life, but he had, he had some serious problems. He had a miserable flesh-eating skin disease. He had a disease that was incurable. He didn't have much hope in his life. He was in a hopeless situation, but this little girl gave him some information that gave him some hope. Instead of choosing to watch this man suffer in misery, this little girl who's in captivity, she decided to tell him about a prophet of God in her land. She decided to tell him about Elisha. She decided to tell him about this great miracle worker in the land of Israel, a man who by this time has supernaturally multiplied oil to help a, we a widow feed her family. And he had also miraculously made some poisonous stew fit to eat. And he had also miraculously multiplied bread like Jesus did in John chapter 6. And like Jesus, Elisha, by this time, had also raised somebody from the dead. Elisha had done so many amazing things in the land of Israel by this time. And this little girl told Naaman about him. This little girl had a lot of faith and she professed her faith in God's power working through Elisha. Notice carefully what the text says in 2 Kings 5 and verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. In verse 3, after telling us that this little girl was taken into captivity and she waited on Naaman's wife, the Bible says that she said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, I wish that my master, I wish that my master Naaman were with the prophet who was in Samaria, then he would, he would cure him of his leprosy. Notice the language. Notice what she says here to name his wife. Notice how when talking about Elisha, she does not say that if my master Naaman came into contact with Elisha, he might be healed. She doesn't say there's a possibility he would be healed or that it's just very likely that he would be healed. Instead, brothers and sisters, this little girl says that if Naaman came into contact with Elisha, he would be healed. He would be made whole and alleviated from this dreadful disease. This little girl professed great faith in the power of God working through Elisha. She really believed that Naaman could be cured. Because the God of her people, the God of Israel, the one true and living God, he had already done some amazing things through Elisha. He had already performed many miraculous wonders among the people of Israel through Elisha. This little girl really believed in the power of God. In fact, not only did she believe in the power of God, but she professed that belief. She professed her faith. 
You see, had this little girl not told Naaman's wife about Elisha, Naaman would have continued living just a dreadful life. He would have never had an opportunity to experience the power of God. He may have not even learned about the one true and living God. Because he doesn't learn about God until he goes and meets Elisha. You see, the great story of Naaman being healed, this great story we teach our kids, it all began with the faith of this little servant girl. It all began with this little servant girl giving a great testimony about the power of God. It all began with the faith of this servant girl who cared enough about Naaman to tell him about a man who could help cure him of his disease. Without her faith and without her love and concern and actions, Naaman's story may have turned out very different. And so, the question, though, is what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this little girl? What lessons can we draw from what she does for naming the Syrian or naming the leper? Well, let me give you two lessons, just two lessons that I think we really need to appreciate from what this little girl does. First, one of the lessons I think we need to take away from, from this particular story is, number one, I think from this little girl we see that we need to be aware of the Naamans in our lives. We need to be aware of the Naamans in our lives. And let me just ask you, did you know you had Naamans in your life? Did you, did you know you had Naamans? In your life that you know that you come into contact with Naamans every single day? That you know that there are Naamans in our society right now? That you know that there are Naamans on your job and in your school and, and on your ball team and in your community and even maybe among us in this worship assembly right now? But you know, there are Naamans around us all the time. And please don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand what, what I mean when I say we're surrounded by Naamans. My dear friends, when I say we're surrounded by Naamans this morning, I'm not saying we're surrounded by people who have leprosy. I'm not talking about leprosy. I'm not talking about this dreadful skin disease that is very contagious. I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of you, in fact, probably every single one of us here, we've never probably met anyone who had leprosy before. I'm not talking about leprosy. When I mention Naamans this morning, instead, when I mention Naamans, I'm talking about people who have a disease far worse than leprosy. I'm talking about the spiritual disease of sin. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about a disease that leads to eternal separation from a holy God. Remember what Paul teaches us in the book of Romans. Remember in Romans chapter 3, we read Romans in our Bible reading this year. Romans is a rich book, great, great book. Romans 3 and verse 9, what did Paul say there? Romans 3 and verse 9, he says, For we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks, or both Jews and Gentiles, are all all under sin. 
In that same chapter, in Romans 3, verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, in verse 23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. There Paul's talking about spiritual death. And then go in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 59. Remember Isaiah 59 as Isaiah spoke to the people of Israel of his day. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah taught us something about sin. He taught the people of Israel something about sin. He says in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a what? A separation, a barrier, a barrier between you and your God. That is not good at all. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He does not hear your prayers. That's not good either. Notice how while leprosy, while leprosy is an awful, an awful disease. A disease we wouldn't work, wish on our worst enemies. While leprosy was a skin disease that ate away at the flesh. The Bible says that sin is a far worse disease. It is a far worse disease because it leads to spiritual death. It places a barrier between mankind and God. It leads to eternal separation from God. Sin cuts us off from God. That's what the Bible says. And the really, really frightening thing about that is Paul makes it very clear throughout Romans, at least twice in Romans 3, that when it comes to sin, we all have committed it. We all have committed sin. While leprosy is a disease that only affects a small population of the world, sin is the disease that affects everybody. It has affected everybody in the room this morning. For all of us of an accountable age, guess what? We've all been infected with sin. We all come into contact with people who are infected with sin. Sin is something that infects every single person and it leads them to spiritual death. That's what the Bible says. And the question I just want to ask is, do, do we understand that? Do we see that? Do we see that in the people we come into contact with every single day? When we go to Walmart, when we go to Fry's, when we go on our jobs, when we go to the gym or wherever we go, do we realize that we're around a bunch of people who are infected? They're infected with sin. They're in a, in a tragic situation. And they need some help. They need us to be aware of them. From this little girl we see, we got to be aware of these namings that we have in our lives. In fact, not only do we need to be aware of the Naamans, but from this little girl, we also learn that we need to have enough faith and love to help them. We need to help the Naamans. We need to understand that it's not enough for us just to know about God. This little girl knew about God. And it's not enough for us just to know about the prophet, this little girl knew about the prophet Elijah, but we know about a prophet even greater than Elisha, and that is 
Jesus. It wasn't enough for her just to know about Elisha. And it's not enough for us just to know about Jesus and how Jesus' blood has the power to cure people of their terrible sin sickness. No, in addition to knowing about God, in addition to knowing about the prophet, which is Jesus Christ, like this little girl, we're going to tell the name as we know about him. We got to tell the namings we know about what the prophet can do for them. We got to urge them to obey him. We got to urge them to obey his specific instructions so that they can be cleansed of their dreadful disease. I want to show you some in Romans. When you go to Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one. Listen to what Paul says. In verse 14, Romans 1 and verse 14, Paul says, I am under obligation. Both to Greece and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want you to notice how in those three verses, we find three motivations that Paul had for preaching the gospel. Did you notice them? In verse number 14, Paul says he preached the gospel because he, because he felt he had an obligation to preach it. I'm under obligation. Why are you under obligation? Because of what God did for me through Jesus Christ. Because God saved me through his son, because God healed me of my sin sickness and my sin disease. I feel obligated. I feel indebted to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says he felt an obligation. Do we feel that obligation? Paul says in verse 15, he was also eager. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to preach the gospel to you people in Rome. Paul was excited to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere. You know that. It's all through Acts. And then in verse 16, he says he wasn't ashamed to do it. I feel obligation. I'm eager and I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Why? Because Paul says, I believe in its power. I believe that when people obey it, God will do exactly what he has promised. He will heal them spiritually. He will cleanse them spiritually. Paul says, I believe the same gospel that saved my soul, it has the power to save any person's soul. Paul had that kind of faith in Jesus Christ, in his gospel. And the point I'm trying to make is we got to have that same kind of faith. We got to have that same kind of faith in the gospel. We got to have that same kind of kind of love for the lost. You know, if we don't have enough faith in the gospel. And I have have enough love for the lost to tell them about the cure for their spiritual disease, which is the blood of Jesus. They'll never be healed. They'll never be saved from the outcome of dying in their condition. You see, we have to understand that people dying in sin, that is the greatest tragedy in the world. That is far more tragic than how we may feel about what's going on in politics right now. 
That is far more tragic than anything that has to do with this pandemic. That is far more tragic than anything else going on in the world. The most tragic thing in the world, and the devil likes to get us to forget this, but the most tragic thing in the world is people dying in their sins. It's people dying separated from a holy God having to suffer in hell forever. That's tragic. And I submit that only when we understand that with all our being and all our mind will we then become very zealous about the marching orders of Jesus. Only when we really buy into the tragedy of sin will we become very zealous about going out into the world and trying to make disciples of the nations. Only when we understand the tragedy of sin will we be able to impact people's lives in a powerful way. Remember, this little girl, she impacted Naaman's life in a powerful way. Once she told his wife and she then told Naaman about Elisha, Elisha was able to go to Israel and, 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 and or Naaman was able to go to Israel and meet Elisha. And after Naaman met Elisha, he then was able to receive instructions to be cleansed of his leprosy. Without that little girl, Naaman would have been completely in the dark on Elisha. Her faith, her love, her concern for this man impacted his life, Naaman's life, in a powerful way. And we can have that same kind of impact in people's lives today. Like this little girl, we can also impact the Naamans we know in a powerful way. In fact, we can impact them in the most powerful way. We can help save the Naamans we know from a disease far worse than leprosy, and that is the disease of sin. That is the disease that if they don't get healed from it, they're going to be away from the presence of God forever. Isn't that what James talks about? James 5 and verse 20, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will do what for him? Save his soul from death. Wow. And cover a multitude of sins. Notice the impact we can have on people's lives. Wow. Notice the impact we can have on people's lives when we help them come not to Elisha, but to Jesus. When we bring people to Jesus, we help save their souls from spiritual death. We help cleanse them spiritually. We help them get off the path of Satan, which is the path of error, and get put on the path of righteousness. That's what bringing people to the prophet. That's the kind of impact that brings to them. The question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to have the courage and love of this little girl to bring the people who are lost in their sins to the prophet, which is Jesus, so that they can be spiritually cleansed and made whole. I hope that we are willing to do that and we have the concern and love to do that because I want to just say this. When it comes to sin, the spiritual disease of sin, if there's one thing the Bible teaches us about sin, is sin is serious business. It is nothing to joke around about. It is nothing to play with. It is serious business. It is serious business to God. It is serious business to Jesus. It is so serious that it cost Jesus' life on the cross. 
And so if there's somebody here this morning and you have that disease in your life right now, I got good news for you. You can be cured right here and right now. You can be cured of this spiritual disease that is plaguing your life if you're willing to believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and get in this water right here and get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You can come out of that water cleansed, made whole, white as snow because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if there's somebody here this morning that we can help obey the gospel, we will be more than happy to do that. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.